so on, on Thursday, like we were all hanging out, you know, with it being Thanksgiving, we were all just hanging out like bullshit and eating. And, and, uh, my wife decides she's going to ask everybody because we were talking about the meme evil lip biscuit says, uh, let's fix shit. Uh, <laughs> So imagine you got memefied. What is what is evil Jathan? You know, we know who Jathan is. We know Jathan is a Luddite, Marxist socialist. He's a academic. What is evil Jathan? <laughs> evil mm-hmm. Jathan is a is is a is a pathway that I very narrowly actually avoided in real life, which is becoming like a, a fucking like coke funded libertarian think tanker at a George Mason University or some shit or the uh, American. <laughs> Enterprise Institute. That that's that's a bizarro evil Jathan. Uh, in, in a in a slightly different alternative universe, that is who I would that is who I would actually be. You know, thank God uh, I, I I saw the light, and that did not happen. <laughs> Inshallah. In that universe, what is Evil Ed? Evil Ed. <laughs> evil Ed is uh, is a real politic uh, wonk at some at the Council of Foreign Relations or the uh, CSIS, Johns Hopkins, or um, working as a at the front end office in some fucking bulge bracket racket investment bank. Because those were uh, there was a time where I was considering just doing investment banking for like three years to make some money to cover everyone's debts in my family. Hated it a little bit too much to really even seriously consider it, you know, even though the math was not really a problem. Um, And then there's a time for a while where I was like actually really into political theory and uh, international relations for as as a leftist, from a leftist perspective, trying to figure out like what ways to supplant or disrupt modern institutions and place them with something more collectivist, more decentralized, or what a transition to that would look like um so yeah evil ed is um is uh is research assistant for henry kissinger or (laughs) um or off or who is it charlie sheen in wall street (laughs) evil ed is doing billions and evil jathan is doing succession (laughs) evil ed is writing long meandering treaties defending the right to uh uh, shake down a town's pension fund. Other VCs just do it, but I will make you feel like I had to do it <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> we we had a we had a fun little discussion, and and to the to the end of the discussion, we came to the point that if Evil Jeremy would just be Alex Jones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, man. There's an alternate. There's a slightly different universe where this same conversation is happening and instead but it's evil ed evil jeremy and evil jathan being like yo what would what would evil version of you be and and it would just be us it would be tmk (laughs) but there's this big war trying to like basically destroy humanity because humanity has free will and there's a decision to which level we want to go to we have free will so evil's allowed to come and contend and not just good and the elites themselves believe they're racing 
using human technology to try to take our best minds and build some type of breakaway civilization where they're going to merge with machines, transcend, and break away from the failed species that is man, which is kind of like a false transmission because they're thinking what they are is ugly and bad, projecting it onto themselves instead of believing, no, it's a human test about building us up. And so Google was set up 18, 19 years ago. This was, I knew about this before it was declassified. I'm just saying I have good sources that they wanted to build a giant artificial system. And Google believes that the first artificial intelligence will be a supercomputer based on the neuron activities of the hive mind of humanity with billions of people wired into it with the Holy internet of shit. things. And so all of our thoughts go into it and we're actually building a computer that has real neurons in real time that's also psychically connected to us that are organic creatures so that they will have current prediction powers, future prediction powers, a true crystal ball. But the big secret is, once you have a crystal ball and know the future, you can add stimuli beforehand and make decisions that control the future. And so then it's the end of consciousness and free will for individuals, as we know, and a true 2.0 in a very bad way, hive mind consciousness with an AI jacked into everyone, knowing our hopes and dreams, delivering it to us, not in some PKD wirehead system where we plug in and give up on consciousness because of unlimited pleasure, but because we were already wired in and absorbed before we we knew it by giving over our consciousness to this system by our daily decisions that it was able to manipulate and control into a larger system. There's now a human counter-strike taking place to shut this off before it gets fully into place and to block these systems and to try to have an actual debate about where humanity goes and cut off the pedophiles and psychic vampires that are control of this AI system before humanity is destroyed. Hello, friends and enemies. It's episode 120 of This Machine Kills. I'm Jathan, joined by Ed and producer Jeremy, as always. A warning up front that this, this episode does contain spoilers for Dune. We, we waited a while. Uh, you know, the Dune movie's been out. There's a lot, you know, all the hype around it has kind of died down a little bit. Y'all, if you're going to see the movie, you've probably already seen the movie. Uh, you know, not to mention all the other movies and TV series and the fact that the, the original book came out in 63. <laughs> so this has been around for a while, but, but there will be some spoilers on Dune. I, 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 Dune is one of the, uh, like, like big, you know, blockbuster sci-fi series and universes that I, I, I kind of took a pass on, not in any intentional way. I just never really got into it. I've never read any of the books. I've never seen any of the movies or series until the latest one. I, I saw that. I liked it. Hey, it was good. It was a very enjoyable movie, but I do know just through osmosis and through talking to, to Ed and Jeremy, who are both really into Dune, that there's a lot of very interesting concepts and ideas that kind of form the basis of the Duneiverse uh, and the world that, you know, Frank Herbert constructed and later, uh, you know, after his death and in, in the books that came after, you know, the expanded Duneverse with Brian Herbert, there, you know, there's a lot of really interesting stuff. And but but there's one concept in particular that kind of is like the catalyst event for the whole Duneverse and, and all of the technologies and the, 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 the nature of the society and the world uh, and, you know, the spice melange uh, that's at the center of, of all the conflicts and, and, and uh, you know, capabilities in this world. There's one event 
that is at the center of this, which is, you know, I have, I personally, in the reading and listening I've been doing, you know, on, on the hype around the new Dune movie, have not heard a lot of people really even mention, let alone talk about. And that is the Butlerian Jihad. I cannot imagine a more TMK concept than the Butlerian Jihad. Um, and so, with the with the great help of Ed and Jeremy uh, explaining some of this mythos and lore to me, we're going to spend uh, you know the episode really talking about what the Butlerian Jihad is and and what what we might draw from it in terms of uh, you know larger lessons. Right? It's like, this is this is some some space Luddism, some Dune Luddism. Mm-hmm. I want to th- I want to throw it over to Ed uh, to first. You know, before we really dive into uh, explaining this this event of the Butlerian Jihad and the and what follows from it, how do y'all approach Dune? Like Ed, but I know I know I know you were hyping up this Dune movie for ages before it came out. You were you were tweeting mad stuff about Dune constantly. I know Dune is a is like a a, a series, a universe that you are very interested and invested in. So I'm curious, like, what is it about Dune? I'm very interested in sci-fi universes that are, um, they got a little, little seed of reactionary in them. And, uh, and Frank Herbert, uh, not on our side, not on our side politically, uh, but <laughs> had, had, and, and, but I am interested in the worlds that get crafted by people like that. And really the core, the core thing, the inter- the core interests for me have always been the Butlerian Jihad and then the uh, Golden Path. And so the Butlerian Jihad was essentially just like a holy war crusade against uh, thinking machines that emerged because at the, you know, far back in Dune's history, in the history of the world, there was, uh, there were, there was a wide sort of, you know, ingratiation of thinking machines um, inside of the universe, right? And they were integral to basic daily life and also the space travel. And as a result, um, some of the machines and in the, in the, uh, in the books written by his children, they're giant mechs. They're literally mechas from like, from a fucking anime. (laughs) But in, uh, in the earlier er eras, right? They're these massive machines, uh, that are responsible for huge sacks of life. And, and artificial intelligence that are responsible for huge sex of life. And so as a result, you have a war that eventually gets waged against them um, by, you know, I think like Jahan Butler, um, the Butler family, essentially, because it's her and her husband, where for the jihad is like a trying to attack uh, the infrastructure of these machines. The machines are trying to attack the populations and, the, and their... Um, their communications infrastructure, their life infrastructure, their planets, their small-scale planets. And so as the war rages on and on and on and on and on, they eventually won and uh, they win it. You know, I'm not going to go into detail with all the bullshit canon because I don't like the, I don't really particularly like the uh, books that the kids wrote. But long story (laughs) short, they win a war against giant mechs, uh, AI gods, and decide that they will never again allow giant AI mech gods or AI to exist And go about not just getting rid of thinking machines, but but a lot of really complex c- calculators and computational technology, which means that there emerges like a huge deg- de- decay in the quality of life uh, because n- now they can't really do space travel. Now it's harder to handle the logistics of an interstellar empire. 
uh, now it's harder to handle the logistics that are necessary to like, you know, support their ways of life, uh, their, their feudal system, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so that war against um, computational infrastructures and technologies leads to the development of a huge, vast array of non-computational things. These are development of a lot of the stuff that people are more familiar with in Dune, right? Because they don't, they can't compute with computers, they have to train humans to do a lot of these things, right? So they train a group of humans to be walking calculators, mentats. They train a group of humans to sort of be navigators in space, the spacing guild. They train uh, humans to kind of be like, uh, you know, embedded in court and handling intrigue, right? Bene Gesserit to an extent. They also have sects that are doing plans to ensure that their non-computational way of life is expanded or that their vision for a non-computational humanity is expanded, right? So this means the development or the cultivation of like addiction to spice or the integra- integral nature of spice because spice allows you to you know see into the future, live longer, develop your mental capacities further than they might otherwise be. And also allow, you know, so they allow the the, the Navigators Guild, the Spacers Guild to um, kind of like have a grip, a monopoly on space travel. They allow Mentats to be embedded in like every single house and they allow the Bene Gesserit to try and advance their secret master plan of um, a messiah that they will be able to control and, and put on the throne, right? But all of this comes out of Dune's, what was initially a plot device, which is no computers, right? But mm. is also interesting because it is... A, a viewpoint that we kind of align with not maybe not no computers but a lot of things that can compute need to go and they need to go period or they need to be radically downsized and replaced with non-computational forms so with other you know things that we can figure out or maybe computational forms in deeply limited ways not just an ever-expanding computational infrastructure and I think the Balerian Jihad is really fascinating because it offers, like, it offers not, the, the world in of itself is not a particularly attractive world, but it offers, like, the idea that you could construct life without computation, what would emerge in its place in various areas of our lives. Right. So, like, backing it up just a little bit, uh, like you were saying, you know, the, the Balerian Jihad is a, as essentially a plot device to be like, you know, let's, let's, you know, Frank Herbert, let's conceive of a world of, that, that isn't just, you know, a, b- a bunch of AI and robotics run amok. Mm-hmm. Let's conceive mm-hmm. of something that is a is a radically different, like technological pathway or your an- anti technological pathway or anti computational. Because it's not anti technological; it's anti computational. But like in in some of my reading on the lore of of all this, uh, it is very interesting that essentially like the idea of the Butlerian Jihad was not really developed at all by Frank Herbert himself. It was just this kind of like uh, you know event like thousands of years um, in the past for when Dune is set that that's that happened. Uh, but then it was like later developed in some of the, the later, you know, books by Frank Herbert's children to be essentially like, you know, this is post Skynet, right? Like, like, like you were saying, like, it's a world, like, it's a world of super advanced artificial intelligence and robotics and computational thinking machines. But eventually, uh, these, these machines 
rise up under you know this AI called something like Ominous. Uh, you know, yeah, Ominous, Aramis. They're all these really yeah. They're literally mechs. I want the the listener needs to remember when you hear these names. They're they're literally mechs with no inside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so they rise up and they enslave humanity, and then they enslave humanity for like a thousand years, like a reign of a thousand years or something like that, until yeah, this jihad, just th- this holy crusade against computation is uh is 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 sparked. It, it really does strike me as essentially like what's what's the world after skynet right like like the terminator happens skynet happens um you know the war against the machines is you know humans are eventually successful in the war against machines you know massive loss to to human population and then as part of that there's a a blanket ban on the development or possession of any thinking machines any computation even your fucking ti80 calculator uh uh-uh. uh that's that's punishable by death uh and so <laughs> and so then it's like what does humanity look like po- you know after after the thinking machine well, it looks like they're going to be using a lot of motherfucking abacuses. <laughs> it's funny you say that because in the development of the Butlerian Jihad by the Suns, right? They made this. They made a massive encyclopedia, but then they also made a few books where they talk about, it, and they made a book that's specifically on the Butlerian Jihad called Dune: Butlerian Jihad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, there, I mean, like by the end of it, because of the destruction of the thinking machines, I mean, there's like an untold, like billions or trillions of people die. Because, hmm. like I said, you know, the logistics of empire disintegrate because they're so reliant on them. So you don't get medicine, you don't get proper food or trade, you don't get space travel, you don't get like the daily maintenance of whatever living systems. Like a lot, like, like imagine if for some reason shipping freights. Just like we're no like imagine if cargo containers like just turned into mush for some reason. I think it would be equivalent to that. There are just whole regions of the world that kind of rely on ex, on imports and exports, you know, to survive and uh, have been cultivated that way to do so, right? And so you suddenly cut that link, and they're all and a lot of them are going to die. A lot of them going to suffer, and so it was incredibly painful um, because of how sudden it needed to be, since they had uh, giant AI mecha gods. Uh, enslaving them, <laughs> and it's not that dire for us, but it should because you know, like you can do it. Maybe do the jihad in a more orderly way. Maybe think about <laughs> uh, what machines we want to prune back and do it over time, right? You know, like I like to think of. Um, I mean, I'd, I'm not. I'm not. This is not me coming out as a dengist or anything, but you know, China's uh, crusade on <laughs> on uh, some of the social media apps and platforms. I really. I'm interested in because, I mean, for now, it's kind of, it's still kind of like, you know, meh in the sense that they're really just limiting the use of miners so that they're not addicted to them. Um, you can't use it after like 10 p.m. to 6. There are hard breaks. There's a daily time limit on the use of these apps. You know, these are things that structure the way you use them versus like the abolition that you would have seen in a jihad where we're going to burn the data center and get and, and, and blow it up or some shit and get rid of it and root it out. That would be, I guess that would be the difference or the equivalent. And that's as close as we get now because of the one, because the limit of the imagination and two, just because of how much power these things have and, and how much there's not like any sort of real response in the actual state or bureaucracy or, re- or law or regulatory apparatus that we have. I mean, there was, there was always going to be, there's always going to be like some, 
some type of object like that that stands in the way of like a younger generation's progress. I mean, when I was a kid, it was video game arcades, you know, or like Nintendo's going to rot your brain. <laughs> and I feel like there's just, it's going to be like a steady progression. It's like kids that are growing up using like uh, social media apps are going to have less of a understanding of what having a private life is like. You know, there, it's going to be a lot of people that are just going to be clicking yes to everything. Get me to the shiny thing. Give up all their information in the process of doing that. You know, we might get to a point where we have to destroy all thinking machines on this planet <laughs> to progress any further. further, further. Like the concept of the Butlerian Jihad is itself very interesting in terms of thinking about like tactics and implementation as well, because it really is this like all or nothing, right? Like, like you were just saying, Ed, as well, it's like, you know, the Butlerian Jihad is premised on this idea of destroy all computation, all thinking machines, uh, all AI, all robotics, all of this stuff, uh, and, and like, and then figure out a way forward from there, right? Like we put, we put strict bounds on, on saying no to that technology and then mm-hmm. figure out what like uh, alternative ways, of, uh, of pathways forward. It, it is very interesting as well where that is essentially the, um, that's the, that's, that's the, the tar brush that Luddites are painted with as essentially wanting to, you know, the, you know, that, that's the misconception of Luddism as wanting to wage a Butlerian jihad, of wanting to destroy all of it and set us back to some primitivism. And it is, it is very interesting as well to think about things in terms of like, a war of position and a war of maneuver to, to mm. use some Gramscian, uh, concepts here, right? War of position is a is a is a is a cultural war. It's a discursive war, right? Like, how do you um, wage a war against the 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 way in which people think about things? Your you know your position, uh, your politics position in society, right? How do you wage that war of position uh, of of moving the cultural dial, um, you know, closer towards your conception of what? Uh, of what kind of revolution needs to happen, what kind of politics and society need to be put in place. And then a war of maneuver is the actual physical and our, how do we actually do this revolution or how do we do the Butlerian Jihad? So it is very interesting as well, like thinking about it in terms of, of, of the kind of like politics of Luddism that we espouse, like, you know, we, uh, the three of us here will, you know, regularly, uh, you know, shit post and talk on, on episodes about like essentially doing a Butlerian Jihad. It's just like fucking yeah. smash it all, man. Get rid of all mm-hmm. of it. Like none of it deserves to exist. You know, and that, that is, that has rhetorical value, right? That's really about like trying to push people towards getting, towards thinking about this idea that that's even an acceptable option to, to smash this stuff, to just grit, get rid of it all. But then like the actual war of maneuver, the actual like material tactics that we want to put in place are, is not a Butlerian jihad, right? It really is more of that like all every piece of technology deserves to be interrogated, right? Like it's not just about a blanket, throw it all away, 
uh, you know, we use that discursively to push people closer towards a, a, a kind of Luddite politics. But then in actual reality, Luddism on the ground looks like more of like a, a, a struggle session or something, right? But right. <laughs> where you hold up each technology and you interrogate it and you say, is this thing actually valuable in some way? Can it be redeemed? Can it be, can we keep using it or do we need to throw it away? It is very important to think about and consider the example of total destruction because then you should step back and ask, okay, like, well, why wouldn't I want things destroyed? What should I want destroyed? That is far more than like what we are usually encouraged to. Most people are just encouraged to um, not really think ever about why to think ever about why something uh, should like exist and should be allowed to exist. And usually it shouldn't be allowed to exist. Right. And so just thinking of it through the extreme rhetoric uh, does work as a way to uh, incentivize people to um, step in. And, and you, if you want, you can defend something. If you want, you can offer new things to be destroyed, but you still need to be considering this idea of destruction and abolition of technology um, versus outright defense of all of it or outright destruction of all of it, right? I mean, maybe you could even consider outright de- defense of all of it as a metaphor. Like, you know, like one thing we could deploy and have talked about is like, why should all things as they are stay the same? If you really mm-hmm. believe that, like, we all know that there are problems with the way that technology is implemented in our lives, whether it's like communications technologies, whether it's platforms and social media, right? Whether it's uh, the use of platforms in allocating newly privatized goods and services or creating new ones that compete with public goods and services, you know, whether that's gig work um, and the emergence of gig work and the use of it to Uberize previously stable forms of work or to also just uh, compete with transit and undermine it or redirect finances into its own public pockets for subsidies. But that's the attempt to like privatize healthcare and replace it with algorithms and bullshit so that, you know, some company can just pull in more information from you and greater advertiser revenue. Uh, whether it's the uh, attempt to like, you know, privatize and securitize like neighborhoods with surveillance cameras and surveillance infrastructure in the name of safety, like all of these things you know, cannot all be defended usually, right? And if there are critiques at any of them, then I think like you should always, if you're willing to hear critiques of them, you should always be willing to hear the ultimate one, which is like, why does it even deserve to exist? And I think like with the, like you're saying, the example of destroying all of it is a good way to get people to really think about like why anything at all should persist. And what things should persist. And that will help us discover what what types of technology are useful, what type of technologies synergize with what we want in life, what types of technologies are not actually technologies, but just like cover for capital to infiltrate more of your life and privatize more of your life and suck out more money from your life. We need like a technology judge dread. Someone just walks <laughs> around and like judge, judge jury executioner right there on the spot. Just <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've been called in for judgment. <laughs> exactly. It was just like hit him with off switch. Yeah, it, it, it really is about that idea of putting everything up for discussion, right? Like ultimately, that's the that's what Luddism is, and that and that's what I think rhetorically something like a Butlerian jihad of a an ultimate holy crusade against all computation, a war against all machines. Really about being like, okay, in reality, what we need is a politics where everything is up for a discussion. All everything everything uh it's about taking seriously the idea of alternatives and contingency taking seriously the idea of abolition and deconstruction uh and, and that you know 
that's that's really the push here. And it is really interesting as well. Like uh, you know, one of the things I really think that the the concept of a, of the Butlerian jihad is so interesting um, because of the historical context uh, out of which these uh, this idea for Frank Herbert. Uh, emerged, you know, in the 60s, um, and as as well, the kind of allusions that he's giving as well with naming it the Butlerian Jihad. So to go back to, to you know, some much older history, um, there's strong speculation. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's, there's any uh, assurances or certainties, but there's strong speculation that Frank Herbert named the Butlerian Jihad for um, this writer, uh, this, this author and critic named Samuel Butler, uh, who wrote, a, in particular, he wrote a piece, uh, an essay that was published in 1863, called Dar- Darwin Among the Machines. Uh, and, and this article was one of the very first uh, kind of critical analyses looking at, the, at the, the possibility that, you know, that machines, and here, you know, this is 1863. So we're talking like, you know, the industrial revolution, the really the beginning of a mechanical age where there's large scale machinery um, actually doing stuff in society, um, doing stuff in terms of the means of production, reshaping social relations in very serious ways. And Samuel Butler wrote this piece, Darwin Among the Machines, where he's kind of raising the possibility and exploring the possibility that machines are a kind of uh, mechanical life uh, that undergo constant evolution and therefore may end up supplanting humans as, you know, a dominant technological species. Uh, and, and, and I'm going to read a couple quotes from Samuel Butler's 1863 article, and you can see where the idea of, uh, where Frank Herbert you can, is drawing this idea of the Butlerian Jihad, you know, directly from this, where Samuel Butler writes, we referred to the question, what sort of creature man's next successor in the supremacy of the earth is likely to be? We have often heard this debated, but it appears to us that we are ourselves creating our own successors. We are daily adding to the beauty and delicacy of their physical organization. We are daily giving them greater power and supplying by all sorts of ingenious con- contrivances that self-regulating, self-acting power, which will be to them what intellect has been to the human race. In the course of ages, we shall find ourselves the inferior race. Day by day, however, the machines are gaining ground upon us. Day by day, we are becoming more subservient to them. More men are daily bound down as slaves to them. More men are daily devoting the energies of their whole lives to the development of mechanical life. The upshot is simply a question of time but that the time will come when the machines will hold the real supremacy over the world and its inhabitants is what no person of a truly philosophic mind can for a moment question. And then the article ends with these, with these lines. War to the death should be instantly proclaimed against them. Every machine of every sort should be destroyed by the well-wisher of his species. Let there be no exceptions made, no quarter shown. Let us at once go back to the prime evil condition of the race. So that's the Valerian Jihad, right? (laughs) Right. 
So there's, you know, there's a lot of evidence that, yeah, like Frank Herbert, you know, read this essay by Samuel Butler, again, from 1863, and used that as a kind of concept of, okay, what if we do that? What would the world look like if we actually did that? And and not did it in a preemptive way, but did it as a as a, a reactive last grasp, uh, last breath of humanity, right? After after everything has already come to pass, um, after we have been enslaved and dominated by the thinking machines, the you know what come now now what happens when war is uh, against them is the only option. You know, I'm surprised that uh, Herbert had this sort of thing lurking in the back of his mind, too, because I also wonder if that influences the shape of where his children uh, took the message of the Butlerian Jihad, because they did. They did push um, like, you know, the his, like it, it makes me think about why it is that they chose the Butlerian Jihad to be premised inside of a at the tail end of like a revolt against slaves a slaver state or slaver empire by the machines, right? Because they chose, they could, they could have chosen quite literally any setting that they wanted for it. Right. And the, and the one they end up choosing is one that makes me, that feels more like, okay, maybe they saw in the notes of Sam, of uh, their dad, like a reference to uh, Samuel Butler and his own sort of, you know, criticisms or satires of uh, society at the time, right? Especially with his, with, uh, with, you know, the essay, the excerpt that you read that feels very much like I could hear, I could hear a character ranting that in the middle of like a movie about the Butlerian Jihad, right? <laughs> I could, I could hear it, you know, <laughs> that of the John Brown speech, you know, those, those <laughs> <laughs> John Brown in space. <laughs> yeah actually paul Adrides is john brown uh, i forgot I <laughs> maybe maybe if i talk about this uh maybe if i talk about this and have it on the pod it'll, it'll will it into existence the most recent time that i watched dune the night after that i had a dream that uh inexplicably i voiced john brown in some animated series where he was a time traveler along with ned ludd who went around time traveling and just like killing things before they started like what was it? What was it? School, Jathan? I can't remember the name of it, but the Montpellier Society. Yeah, just popping in and just killing all them before they uh, they started writing shit down. You know, <laughs> it's, I mean, think about it. Essentially, it saves us from the uh, uh, what the Chicago School of Economics, mm. the Chicago Boys. Yeah, and and you know that leading directly to uh, the first nine eleven, uh, <laughs> you know, the Pinochet's <laughs> coup of Allende. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, you know, so it was, a, it was just a fun little thing. And it was just my brain, I guess my brain just takes this content and like rolls it in a way my stupid, the other stupid stoner half of my brain can comprehend it. And that's, that's how my brain entertains me while I sleep. I also do want to talk so so that that like Samuel Butler essay is really interesting historical context. Um, not only showing as well that there were a lot of you know, there were people thinking of you know observing the rise of a mechanical society even in the industrial revolution and and kind of foreseeing what happens if this actually 
goes wrong. Like what happens if the worst logics uh, end up being the ones that come true? And it is also very interesting as well, thinking about the context that, uh, you know, Frank Herbert is writing the original Dune, right? The original Dune came out in like uh, 1963, 1964, like around there. Um, and that context is very interesting as well to think about like, why was, why was Frank Herbert thinking of a plot device for this, this novel that would end up becoming this huge, you know, universe? Why was a war against all computation, uh, you know, a core inciting historical event in this, you know, in this, this, this far flung future of humanity? You know, the sixties was really also one of the, that, that was like the first kind of AI hype. You know, there was a lot of hype around uh, artificial intelligence because, you know, the 60s is when we start getting these like, you know, big mainframe computers, uh, you know, start getting a lot of technological development, but also a lot of technological hype around what these computers can actually do. Concepts of artificial intelligence being just around the corner uh, and how that's going to revolutionize all of society. And of course, there was also a lot of worry and criticism as well, not to mention, um, you know, Samuel Butler in talking about, you know, mechanical life, he's looking at, you know, uh, industrial machinery and like early forms of automation in production and, and, and things like that. You know, in the sixties was also a big booming time of automation, uh, and, you know, developments of automation, implementation of automation, uh, worries about, you know, how we're going to, the, you know, some of the very early worries about how, you know, we're going to all, we're going to be automated out of jobs and, and all of this stuff. It's very interesting to see how Frank Herbert is channeling some of the uh, hype, both hype and anxieties around, you know, these these uh, very early forms of artificial intelligence, very early forms of computation, early forms of automation, and kind of channeling that into uh, 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 being a, a kind of a driving premise of of Dune and the Dune universe of like, like. Damn. Okay. The, the, you know, may, maybe this isn't the right pathway to be going down. But what if it is, Jason? What if <laughs> what we really need is a thousand years of slavery at the feet or at the hands of machines to to wake up and realize the power inside of all of us as human beings? Well, shit, man. If that those machines make me coffee and food in the morning, I'm down for it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we would I'm gonna, be, fl I'm gonna I flip it on the other side. Right? If we could enslave the machines, it's okay. Um, yeah, well, that I mean, isn't that what the premise of Wally was? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Wally is a uh, dark uh, butlerian jihad. <laughs> 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 Family friendly <laughs> butler and jihad. <laughs> evil evil butler and jihad is just Wally. <laughs> oh, that's good. That, there's a lot of memes that we could unlock in there. We could do a which way Western man, and one is uh, the butler and jihad. Maybe an image of someone killing a machine god, and the other is the is Wally with the robot giving everybody food. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and make these before this episode comes out so we can roll out these limited edition uh, Butlerian Jihad memes along with the episode. 
uh, TMK listener, Butler and Jihad uh, NFTs now available for one ETH. I repeat, Butler and Jihad NFTs available for one ETH. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shocked that some uh, like like lame ass Silicon Valley bozo hasn't come up, hasn't done a parody version of Limp Bizkit's break shit. And instead it's like fix shit, you know, <laughs> maintain shit, build shit instead of break shit. It's build shit. <laughs> it's because this is, listen, this because this is a very serious thing. Technology is the lifeblood of humanity. This is not a joke. You guys, There's, we can't muddy the waters with memes. We have essays, we have capital raises. We have op-eds. We have PR. No space for memes. <laughs> None. This is serious. Y'all, y'all can speak to this more than than me. I mean, this is very much my like, you know, my my take on on, on kind of knowing the lore of Dune and kind of having a grasp of the the setting of Dune and that in the time period, you know, that Frank Herbert is conceiving of Dune. Um, but it is also very interesting as well, right? Like we talk about like, you know, but the Balearian Jihad is kind of coming out of um, some of the, you know, him um, channeling some of the anxieties uh, about AI and automation and computation. The idea of spice is also very interesting. And, and Arrakis as this like desert planet where it's the only place where you can get the most valuable resource in the world, which is necessary for space travel, it's necessary for um, powering uh, and training the Mintats, you know, human computation, uh, you know, it, it's so obvious. And, and the fact that it's called a Butlerian Jihad and there's a lot of like Arabic kind of allusions and stuff like that in, in some of the, the, the concepts and place names and words and stuff. Like it's so clear as well that uh, Frank Herbert is also essentially just doing a very long extended metaphor um, for the Middle East, uh, for like OPEC and Aramco, um, for, you know, some of the the first like peak oil anxieties around that same time period in the 60s as well. Like spice is petroleum, right? Like that's all of it. Like spice is oil. Um, and, and that's why everybody, you know, everybody's fighting over it. It's also like, you know, it's the, the, the graveyard of empires, Arrakis, AKA Afghanistan, <laughs> you know, like, like it, it's uh, very clearly this extended metaphor. Um, but also it's one that, that really it's interesting to see Frank Herbert channeling all of this, you know, these, those, the current condition, the current affairs and contemporary anxieties of the sixties, jumping forward 60 years later to the 2020s where we are now and seeing that it's all still the same shit, right? It's all still like so many of the same anxieties. It's so many of the same geopolitics. It's so many of, 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 of every, you know, to the point where it's like this extended metaphor um, has this weird timeless quality to it where it could have been written in the 60s or the 70s or the 80s or the 90s or, you know, so on and so forth, right? Like, like it just, ha it, it, it's, it's aged very well for very unfortunate reasons. 
Now, do you think though that like, do you think like a depiction of mod, like what would entail modern day depiction of the Balearian Jihad? Or maybe alternatively, why do you think it wasn't like a focus that emerged in some of the analysis of of Dune? I don't or, know. Oh, I mean, well, I mean, part of it might be because you know, to answer the question a little bit, part of it might be because it's not really mentioned that much. Hmm. But also, I mean, it is still pretty like interesting concept. And I would have also expected people who read the book to kind of like harp on about, especially in an era where technology is eating more of our lives, whether we wanted to or not. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a good question. Why? Why hasn't? Especially because it, um, the, the, the Dune universe is very much a, you know, it's, it's its own version of dystopia, right? It's, it's, it, it, like a lot of the, you know, a lot of sci-fi, it very much takes on this idea of what if, the you know future is feudalism right because the dune universe is an extremely feudal society right you've got these like dynastic houses that are these feudal lords and you know all of that but you we cannot you know we've talked before in like our episode on the metaverse and you know a lot of other people have talked about you know the metaverse and snow crash right which is also a form of like corporate feudalism uh you know the idea of of, of the future being feudal in sci-fi is like a very consistent theme throughout. And it is very interesting. I think it also gets to some of the, what you were talking about, like the reactionary views as well of like, even though a lot of our depictions of sci-fi dystopias are more, are, are, are more along the line of what if computers, but, but more. You know, what if, what if smart, <laughs> what if smartphone, but more, um, and, and instead, uh, Dune, uh, you know, Herbert and Dune was like, what if no computers, but still, uh, it's still the same thing. It's still feudalism. It's still, you know, a, a very like oppressive, uh, society, a very unequal society. I don't know. Well, I, I wonder as well, like, what do you guys think about why, you know, on one hand, I think it makes sense that people would not pick up on the Butlerian Jihad idea in part because it's like you said, it's like not a big thing that's really explored in depth in the books. It's just kind of, um, you know, talked about. I think people just kind of accept like, oh, this is an interesting like like uh, setting for for a sci-fi universe where it's not, uh, you know, it's not computers. It's 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 uh, people with you know, these grand, you know, mental capacities that turn them into human computers, mintats, but like the social and political relations and conditions look exactly the same as like Snow Crash or whatever. And, and I think it tells a really uh, reactionary, deterministic uh, idea of what human nature is, of that like human nature is always um, uh, either a recourse to or a resistance against uh, feudalism, which I don't think is right. I don't think that's actually like, like, you know, we've talked about uh, extensively and we will talk about a lot more extensively like Graeber and Wingrove's book that really shows that that's not actually the condition of human civilization and human society for most of our existence as a species. Um, that's like a very recent uh, innovation, if you will, in human society. But it is very interesting that even... Uh, a lot of sci-fi that wants to imagine an alternative world and wants to do so, you know, whether it's, you know, more computers or no computers still ends up constraining itself to the same exact social and political relations. Yeah, right. And I think that that also makes me think of them 
it, it, it feels like then until we actually get people to, like as we're saying, really think about the destruction of technology and the, and the abolition of certain forms of tech, we're just going to be embedded with visions that may rhyme with what we want, but are not actually going to embody it. Because still at the end of the day, most of the tech that exists, even though it's pitched as liberatory and you know alleviating of the burden of labor, a good deal of tech is productive is is productive in terms of like the industrial process, but also a good deal of it is carceral. You know, it's a surveillance or control of individuals. And another good deal of it is just like useless bullshit that's just made to like get you to do another thing that can then be commodified and profit and mm. profited from, as opposed to like to further remove you from having to degrade yourself for survival or mm. for. Uh, the profit of some other firm or group of people. I think. I think it's also just uh, it reveals a, a poverty of thinking about technological politics and and a uh, uh, and a reactionary politics as well. This idea that like that some like the material conditions, the technolo- you know, the forces of production uh, in terms of like the actual technologies and systems and apparatuses of production um, and the organization of society, tech, what we call technology, that, you know, that, that there's somehow not like uh, a politics embedded in it and social relations that are materialized through it, right? It's this idea that like, it doesn't matter if you have no computers or, or lots of computers, uh, it's all going to be the same form of of society it's all going to be the same politics like what would a butlerian jihad that that's uh actually that is actually liberatory not one that causes us to you know throw off the shackles of enslavement by you know big meccas only to then be enslaved by you know feudal lords and dynastic houses what would a butlerian jihad that is uh that leads to a a socialist or an anarchist form of society look like like why don't we have those kinds of uh imagined Areas. Why don't we have those kinds of stories, right? It's because we love capitalism. <laughs> it's because we really love capitalism. I think it's because we have capitalism for, force vet down our throat, especially here in the States. Always in the forefront. It's always, and then from an early age, it's like being forced down your throat. So like your automatic reaction to hearing something like communism or socialism is to go, those things are evil. That's what I was told growing up. So it's, just, it's like a fucked up reprogramming that you have to do to yourself. Mm. Yeah. And it makes the options either capitalism or feudalism, right? Like it makes it where like, those are the only two options presented to us. And it doesn't matter if we uh, change the material conditions of, of reality, you know, through, uh, you know, accelerating the advancement of technology or through um, abolishing and destroying technology. Then it's it, it, at the end of the day, the only two options, no matter what pathway you take are either capitalism or feudalism and 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 I think that you know that's that's insanely reactionary in in every single way dear listener <laughs> um, I don't want to spoil this book series for you but I'm going to talk uh, not at length but I'm going to mention some plot points from a book series called the Re- remembrance of Earth's past um, better known as the three-body problem trilogy and I'm going to I guess segue the conversation from what Jathan was saying just now to this, uh, but in that book series, not to spend too long discussing the plot points, but there was a point in it where Earth's brightest uh, 
needed to coalesce together and try to um, share as much scientific knowledge with the human race, uh, the population of humans that were left on the earth. Uh, and the U.S. government said, no, that's not going to happen. You know, our access to the science and technology comes first before the rest of humanity. I feel that we're never going to reach that point because we can't play nice and share. The the idea as well, like you know, in in the three body problem, right? You just you just mentioned that there's this uh, uh, this kind of like um, a grand distraction, right? Like like the the most inventive uh, and ingenious minds are are kind of you know d- distracted by developing things that are fundamentally antisocial, right? Uh, developing technologies for um, power and hegemony rather than for uh, any, any, any other form of you know, actual progress. It, it reminds, it, it makes me think as well about, you know, in, in the FT, uh, just, you know, uh, this past weekend, uh, Isabella Kaminska, who's, uh, you know, writes really interesting stuff for Alphaville for FT. She has a, she had an op-ed uh, in the FT about the metaverse and, and, it, and it's very, very damning of the metaverse. I mean, you know, rely on the FT for all of your best uh, Marxist capitalist takes, <laughs> you know, like, like crypto Marxist uh, writing for the FT about capital. But in, in this piece as well, this idea of like a grant, uh, a kind of great distraction, we might call it, right? Like you, you, you heard of the great recession, you heard of the great depression, we're living under the great disruption. Well, you got the great distraction that's now here. Uh, and and uh, I want to read two paragraphs from Isabella Kaminska's piece uh, that, you know, very interesting kind of take on the metaverse here where she says, the forward march to the metaverse pushes this trend to the extreme. It sends the message that perhaps our true world is so corrupted, so divided, and so unfair that it isn't worth saving after all. Alternatively, we can Photoshop reality to the point where we can all pretend everything is as pretty as we experience it in our own heads, also known as cultivating delusions. Don't worry about your lousy life. Come join us in your own dream world. Not only is this a damning verdict on digital technology's capacity to generate growth on the ground, it's a recognition that future growth is now, more than ever, dependent on initiating a brain drain away from attempts to improve things in base reality. And, and, you know, this is something that has been remarked on before. You know, one of the first employees of Facebook, Jeff Hammerbacher, who's now, you know, the co-founder of uh, uh, Cloudera, uh, you know, he, he, he remarked ages ago that, you know, something like the, you know, the greatest minds of our generation are, 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 are spending their time getting people to click on advertisements, right? And, and that's essentially what Isabella Kaminska is saying here as well, right? That like, it's all about, uh, uh, ex- you know, essentially saying the, the world in of it, in itself, we just need to we we need to abandon it, right? Instead, we need to spend all of our resources and all of our energy, um, both physical and mental, uh, creating a, a dream world, a grand illusion, rather than thinking about ways of actually uh, you know, uh, improving things in base reality, as as she puts it. I think that's a really interesting take 
uh, on the metaverse is that it can be read in some ways as a uh, as an abandonment of the world and it also i mean it's it's a uh, you know it, it it jives perfectly with the message of you know ready player one which you know uh is is a book that all of these people are obsessed with and see it as a, a blueprint for the way forward and that's also another book like snow crash where the world the material world is so impoverished uh the material world is so unlivable that the only escape from it is into the metaverse into virtual reality right we just have to start over we start from scratch uh but we never do leave behind the material world even if we escape into a dream world it continues to exist all around us uh and and we continue to live in it and those who can't escape into the dream world uh must deal with a world that has been uh left to rot left to be abandoned and until we get to the point where we can upload our consciousness into the cloud. Yeah. And, and, and the we there is doing a lot of work there. Cause it's, it's not, you know, that, one, that's never going to happen Two, If it does happen, it, it, uh, it ain't going to be we as in you, me and Ed <laughs> that are able to do that. It's going to be we in terms of like, uh, Till and Musk and Zuckerberg. Um, but at, at the end of the day, I think it's all the wrong people. Yeah. I think it's, but I think it's a very damning indictment of our ability to actually uh, imagine, not only imagine alternative ways forward, um, but then actually make them into reality, right? And uh, it's, it's one reason why I wanted to talk about the Butlerian Jihad, because I think it is like a very, very interesting concept, one that people don't really talk a lot about, even with all the like, all the think pieces and all the podcasts and all the, the, the hype and whatever around the new Dune movie that kind of sparked a, a Dune surgence. Uh, people never really talked about the Butlerian Jihad or talked about like, you know, the, the, this, this really interesting idea that kind of forms the setting for this world. I would love to see uh, more Lu more Luddite sci-fi, right? I would love to see uh, a book, you know, uh, I'm not a novelist here. Not, none of us are novelists. So I don't know if I'm the, I don't know if we're the ones to do it, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing a call out to, to all the actual, you know, really, uh, you know, all, all, all the sci-fi authors and novelists. I would love to see uh, a, a book that, Kind of took the idea the, uh, of something like a Butlerian Jihad, uh, laid out an alternative future, one that isn't the Dune universe where it's about 
you know, the Butlerian Jihad happens and then uh, every, you know, then the world uh, descends back into feudalism, into space feudalism, uh, rather than cyber feudalism, you know. Um, I would love to see uh, a book or, or stories that instead said, what if this happened? And instead, um, it followed more the path of like, you know, Graeber and Wingrow lay out in their history of humanity. What if a future of humanity looks like one that is in, in, in actually more, more equitable, uh, you know, more uh, influenced not by feudalism, but by uh, socialism or by anarchism, right? Like, what, like why not? Right? Why? Why would uh, this big catalyst point, um, this big plot device, uh, lead to uh, something you know awful? And, and like we, I think we need more of these um, these luddite imaginaries, these these luddite stories. Uh, that that's the only th those are really powerful and really important for thinking about alternatives for thinking about contingencies for imagining new and different and better ways forward rather than trapping us in the reactionary loop of no matter what you do it's always going to turn out bad no matter like like i said before no matter if it's no computers or more computers it's all going to be the same uh social and political and material conditions why there's nothing inherent. There's nothing deterministic uh, about that. That's that's there's there's no there's no fate. There's no destiny that's already laid out that pathway is the only one forward. Um, so I, yeah, I think we I think we need more of these stories. And that's not a call to say like oh we need more po positive stories that make us feel good, right? Like uh, uh, you know I'm so tired of dystopia. I want I want feel good stories. I want butterflies, and I want you know all of that. It's like I was saying before, the path forward might be very hard, but why does it have to lead downward? Why can't it lead upward? Towards that as well, I'm thinking as well like. You know, people like Cory Doctorow, friend of the show, past guest, he wrote a really interesting piece uh, recently about Luddism and sci-fi. He wrote this piece called Science Fiction is a Luddite Literature. Uh, it's not what technology does that matters, but who it does it for and who it does it to. And it's a really interesting article that, that Cory Doctorow wrote taking seriously that idea that uh, that sci-fi writers have a lot to learn from Luddism and, and ought to uh, incorporate the lessons of Luddism in the stories that they tell. So, it, you know, I, I will give a massive shout out to Corey, who is doing the work here as well in terms of thinking about, you know, what would these different kinds of stories that are informed by Luddism and by extension, a different kind of technopolitics um, actually look like. And th that that's the kind of work that I think we really need. And, and so, yeah, again, something like the concept of a Butlerian Jihad is so rich and, and, but, but deserves, I think, to be explored in uh, many different ways than it is in, in the Duneverse. Yeah, we can. I think we can stand for a uh, the future history of Luddism, like short story collection. That's something mm, I would read. Absolutely. 
sci-fi is and always will remain a really important form of uh, experimentation and exploration and imagination because it's a little bit easier to imagine a world and parse through the implications of this or that conceit than it is to experiment it on the real world, especially one dominated by capital, which doesn't allow anyone but corporations to do experiments. But well, you know, there's a that gets still that's still a lot of ground for us to you know inculcate other people, indoctrinate other people, and keep alive the f- spirit of John Brown and Ned Ludd uh, on Earth and in the stars for the rest of the universe's history. So say we all. Hell yeah! That'll bring to a close this episode of TMK. Uh, thank you all for listening. You can find us at patreon.com slash this machine kills for more premium episodes every single week. Uh, we just put out our second part deep dive into Adar, the world's largest biometric identification database, you know, in, in, in India. And we did an even, even further analysis of this really important case study. That's up on the Patreon. Um, soon to come is the next uh, installment of our TMK book club series on Wendy Chun's book, Control and Freedom. That's coming out this weekend and just a massive backlog of other stuff. So find all that on Patreon, uh, subscribe there. And other than that, thank you all for joining us. Uh, Go out there and, you know, Think about some Luddite literature. Think about some Luddite stories you want to tell. And and until next time, later. Later.
killed.